Welcome to Project Update, a weekly podcast about the projects we're working on and the future plans we're revising. I'm Dave Ramsey. And I'm Joe Simpson. How's it going this week, Joe? Well, pretty good. It's been a pretty good couple of weeks getting stuff done. What's going on with you? Uh, all sorts of fun. Uh, probably the first thing is it's the, uh, the end of an era. I just sent you a little picture in the, uh, in the chat. Okay. Um, Dave shaved. Oh no. <laughs> um, I don't see anything, but, uh, Oh wait, I haven't sent. There we go. Now Joe can be shocked. Um, oh my. <laughs> Wow, that's who is that? Yeah, so yeah. For those for those who don't know what Dave looks like, he he's essentially looks like some kind of beard hanger. Um, or traditionally for the last five years, he's looked like something that you hung a beard on, and there was a person behind there, but he was primarily beard, and now he's much less beard and much less hair. Yeah, I I'd, I'd entirely forgotten what shape my head was <laughs> like my head's just an entirely different shape than i had come to realize um yeah i i uh i needed a change i've been thinking about it for a while you know periodically you think about something like that and then you go nah and you move on but when it pops up on a daily basis for say a month or so maybe it's time to do something about it mm -hmm. um so yeah i've just got a van gogh at this point um, four days ago, I had just a much thinner, smaller beard. We'll see what happens in the future. I don't know. I'm just having mm -hmm. fun. Yeah. But, uh, I, I knew Joe would get a kick out of that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see you go back to like the Columbus game developer group and see if anybody recognizes you. <laughs> it uh, looks a little different. So what have you been working on? So I finally finished up the PHP API migration. Um, there's still work to do on the project in terms of like user testing. Like as I went over each page, I did lots of testing during that, but I'm in development mode. So I need to kind of switch away from development mode to user, like thinking more like a user and just using it. So I've got some of that to do, probably spend an entire day on it tomorrow. But all of the code has been rewritten. I'm sure there's going to be bugs and stuff that I find, but it's finally done. Um, took pretty much most of last Sunday and Monday and part of Tuesday to get done. But uh, that's a big project kind of off of my shoulders. It kind of frees up a lot of cognitive processing time. Oh, yeah. For other stuff. Partic you know, particularly because I mentioned previously just how much like it was just incredibly intricate and detailed work with no like psychological payoff because I wasn't actually making anything fun. I'm just maintaining something that needs to be, you know, relatively rock solid. So yeah, I need to finish up the testing with it and then get with the customer and schedule some server maintenance. We've actually got to get them their production server to a version of FileMaker server that can run the data API and then do kind of a slow rollout where we migrate the existing system over to a new version of FileMaker server, but keep the PHP thing in place and then do kind of a hot swap from one API to another 
um, after that migration. So hopefully by the end of the summer, all of that will be done. And uh, ideally their customers will not notice any difference other than a couple of you know minor UX improvements that I made along the way. Awesome. Yeah. It's been a fun project in that, like, I'm looking at this thing, and, like, this thing is massive. It's the biggest project I've done in terms of quantity of code and number of users and just the sheer amount of data, um, which says a lot about the success of, you know, my standalone indie apps. <laughs> but uh, so far, it's it's a big thing, and... Uh, I'm looking back at it now, like some very some fairly complex stuff. Like there are things I would do differently now with stuff that I've learned since then, um, particularly on the UI design side. But like structurally, it's a sound, well thought out app and it works really well and thousands of people rely on it and it makes lots and lots and lots of money for my customer, which is <laughs> the important part. Yes. So the other thing I've been working on is FM comparison. So we mentioned in the last episode that we were going to be kind of drawing a line in the sand of like what is version one slash beta and what is everything else. So we had a big long, I think the meeting was something around 14 hours or something <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Um, that would have killed me. Yeah. It was at least three hours. Yeah. And uh, we kind of went over everything in the app and threw things into different buckets and tried to organize things. And I think I last week I spent pretty much the entire week after that PHP thing on FM comparison and just kind of knocking out all of the small stuff I could. Mm -hmm. And I'm to the point now, like I'm sure there's going to be more changes and revisions, but I'm hoping that I can put all of the small stuff to rest for now and just focus on the detail card um, or the detail interface from here on out. So our configuration screen is done enough. Our sidebar is done enough. And our item list is done enough. And now it's really focusing on getting that detail stuff, like useful information in there. It's color coding, like the diff color coding working, all the various data types and stuff like that, getting at least some primitive version of all of those working and Hopefully, like on my end anyway, unless I'm missing a big part of the piece, that, that sounds like once that stuff gets done, we've got something to show to people. I have no idea what goes into the work on your end to actually take this and get it into an executable that people can install and update and all that stuff. I know there's a bunch of work that needs to happen with that too. But Yeah, the good news is that a lot of that code is in one way, shape, or form already written mm -hmm. um because i've i made the major investment in doing that stuff for fm perception mm -hmm. and so the windows code for a lot of that will just become the cross-platform code for handling <clears throat> registration and auto update and things like that there's a ton of testing to be done and so that's one of my hopes is that relatively soon i can get that stuff in place so that we can start using auto update for me to push new versions to you yeah, and, awesome. um, you know, test the registration and things like that. So <clears throat> it'll be exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of stuff to work on there. Um, 
I guess, what are you working on FM comparison wise? Um, one of the, as you're working on the, um, the detail card where we display information about the elements that have changed. Um, one of the big changes was changing how we treat added and deleted items. So initially a, if you had added a field to your system, um, it just popped up and said, Hey, you added this field and gave you the name. And that was basically all the information that you got about it because none of the properties of the field changed. It's very existence changed. <clears throat> and so there were no details about it. And the thing is, I didn't want to say, Hey, we just added this field and that's it. I wanted the system to at least be able to tell you about the thing. And so adjusting the system to be able to treat and add or delete as something that could be compared to its previous state at a property level. Um, it, uh, it was initially non-trivial. Later it became trivial. Just because I hadn't thought about it originally. Mm -hmm. And so there were some, some weird spots where things, you know, there were assumptions that, oh, if this is null, then skip this. Well, if in all of these cases, one or the other side of the comparison is just not going to be there and you still need to do the comparison and all of those comparisons need to not fail. They need to return results that show that there's nothing on the other side. Um, and so when Joe and I started talking about this, it was kind of like, okay. And I left that in the back of my brain for about four days. <laughs> um, because my first answer was horrible. It was hundreds and hundreds of ch code changes mm. to support that. And I said, that is a terrible answer. <laughs> um, and just, just let the back of my brain work on it. Didn't, didn't sit there and pound on it or stare at code for hours on end. And eventually a, a way to handle that popped into my head that ended up being, you know, a dozen lines of code and it's still very maintainable. Um, it all ties into the way that, um, I built a change management system for FM comparison so that as a chunk of data in the detail card, I can just tell it, here's what the chunk is called. And then each of the lines in this chunk are composed of a name descriptor and an XPath query. And just a whole series of those, an array of those. Hmm. And it kind of stops there. Like, I just defined how to find the answers, but didn't find the answers. And so it builds this whole big list of these things. And then at a later stage, it applies all of those to the actual object itself and converts those into things that have, here's the old value, here's the new value. And so it makes the code where I'm defining what it should care about not have to worry at all about whether things exist or don't. At that point, I'm just saying, here are the properties you care about and here's how to find them. 
and leaves all the error trapping and things like that for a later part of the process. Um, sounds a little funky, but the code's really cool and it's very consistent. Like there mm -hmm. are only a couple of properties that I've bumped into so far that are really weird where I need to do complex merging of stuff. And I've got a subsystem for that. But for most things, just like, oh, the name changed, the left position of this layout object changed, the right position of this layout object changed, all of those things are just very simple, understandable lines of code. And all the complexity is hidden in another subsystem that knows what to do with those and turn them into changes. So that's actually really cool. And I'm glad I didn't have to abandon that to address this. Mm-hmm kind of nailing down some of the annotation we've got some stuff on those change rows you know the individual properties that have changed where in that data we also pass along what kind of information it is because a lot of things when you ask the xml you know what is this value very often you just get back a string even if it's a number it's a string of a number even if it's an image it's a base 64 encoded string of an image. And so setting it up so that at the moment of extraction, I can tag that as what kind of data it really should be so that when it gets to Joe's detail card, it can um, apply some cool formatting and make it more understandable to a user, mm -hmm. um, which is great. So text, uh, timestamps, CSS. There's all sorts of little bits of CSS scattered throughout this XML. And handing that over and going, hey, Joe, this is CSS. You want to do something cool with it? Um, I think it'll also be really helpful when we get to the point, and this will be further down the road, um, of making the JSON change data available to users. Mm -hmm. So I know there are developers who will want to build their own subsystems around FM comparison so that they can maybe via, um, you know, command line or something like that, say, here are two files, please hand me back all the results and get back a huge chunk of JSON that they can then apply logic to, to decide what they specifically care about. Um, so that's, like I said, that's further down the field, but making this stuff, you know, making it understandable to you is helpful for us. But all of that work is also going to provide dividends far in the future. Hmm. So that's cool. Um, we're also trying to figure out how to sort, um, how to sort these things. I, I've got a list of new fields. How do I sort those? And one of the things that FM Comparison is doing is so that it can display that information in a web view. It's encoding some of the special characters to make them happy in the JSON, but it's encoding them as HTML characters. And we've got that all working and it's all displaying properly, but it does funny things when you're trying to sort by that string. Um, the HTML represented element is not the same sort 
representation as the actual string. So if your name for some reason has a greater than or a less than in it, um, or open curly brace, close curly brace, and stranger things have happened, um, that can't break the JSON. So I have to encode those. And so initially I was looking for the way to do that by escaping those characters. And every single attempt to escape those characters failed. I, I just, like, I it would do it and then the JSON would still be pissed. And so I could encode JSON, hand it off, and the web interface couldn't parse it. And so months ago I just said, okay, HTML representation, we're done. That works, we get all the way up to now, and then that messes with sort. So... I fixed the thing that does the encoding so that it can actually do, you know, two backslashes. Like encoding a backslash in something actually takes like four backslashes. Because <laughs> you have to backslash the backslash, but then each of those backslashes has to be backslashed. <laughs> or the JSON breaks. So the cool part is now when I hand Joe a name that's appropriate for sorting it's something that you can work with mm -hmm. the thing that's messing with my head is well now that i've done that should i just use that for everything mm -hmm. like right now we're doing some extra wrapping around some of these elements so that they can be displayed as html characters but if we can make those just display as encoded or escaped strings, A, it might make our parsing or our, our, our rendering faster. Mm -hmm. And B, it would remove the requirement to pass you special sort values and things like that. I was considering actually doing that testing on a branch in your UI so I didn't have to mess with you about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, if we can pop out... Like we've got that HTML decoder function, and if we can yeah. replace that with just wrapping things in the pre-tag, mm -hmm. that would be really cool. I was thinking about that last week as well. Yeah. Just a matter of like, can you get the characters in into the pre-tag in such a way that they'll actually make sense? Yeah. Well, if you want to try that, <clears throat> then add another column to the list view and display the name sort. Okay. So you can do a side-by-side -side comparison mm -hmm. and then see what it looks like. Um, does it parse properly? Does it, well, we already know it parses properly. The question is, does it render properly? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and if it does with just a pre-tag or something like that, then we can simplify a ton of stuff, both in the front end and there's code in the back end that I can just, throw out i don't need all of that weird html encoding stuff so that'll be slick mm -hmm. uh and then finally one of the things that i spent some time with was um uh joe's been on a kick to remove errors from the web console <laughs> um, i don't like the red dots yeah don't like red dots um in any platform not just here yeah um the good news is most of that, at least so far, has been stuff where the back end was still sending messages that the front end 
no longer responded to. Like, oh, please reset these numbers in the UI in preparation for receiving new numbers. Those numbers aren't in the UI anymore. <laughs> Our simplified yeah. UI doesn't need any of that stuff. So Joe just stopped listening to the message and that was generating errors. There was another set of errors that I I just found these like these 15 console errors. Well, actually, they were technically warnings, but uh, they were generated by view and they were happening every time. And, you know, I got on the phone with Dave to try to walk him through reproducing it. And they weren't happening for him. And I'm just like, what could possibly be happening here? So just because I, you know, shut down the app, deleted the NPM modules, reinstalled the project and reran it and the errors are gone. <laughs> I'm like, is this just step one in debugging in this type of environment? <laughs> And then they came back the next day. So it, I ended up eventually figuring out what it was, but it was just like weird. And none of them were serious stuff. They were they were like we were ignoring some of Vue's best practices for how to use key paths and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the app was entirely functional. There was just some <laughs> weird, noisy little are you sure you want to do this errors? Yeah. And mainly I wanted to clean up the errors in the console because they, when you have, you know, 15 errors every time you load a screen and you're using a master detail app that's constantly loading more screens, before you know it, you've got 300 errors and it makes it hard to find any real errors in that. Yeah. So I'm trying to keep that console cleaned up so I can actually find stuff that is going wrong and yeah. also find like the console logs that I'm adding as I'm building stuff. Yeah. So I had one that I did on the back end where I had just one console log line that was making in debug mode a comparison take longer by about a factor of 10 or 15. Oh, wow. Just because it was logging so many lines. And I didn't really care about that stuff anymore. It was just nice to see the thing moving. Um, leaving aside the fact that the UI has a nice progress bar that tells me that the process is moving. And so just comment out one line of debug log stuff and wham it's just done so the cool part was that the release version was already doing that automatically mm -hmm. so that was part of why my release version always seems so much faster than the debug version mm -hmm. so <clears throat> anyway lots of stuff tightening things up cleaning things up uh making stuff look better a very productive couple of weeks in FM comparison. If you really want to see what it looks like now, uh, come check out the FM perception office hours on Thursday at four Eastern mm -hmm. and I'll do a demo. Cool. So WWDC is happening this yeah. week. Kicked off yesterday. Nothing big. Nothing big. No, real real minor updates. Mac OS has been forgotten again. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so let's go and buy it. Um, this is going to go in the order they went in the keynote. And we're not going to go over everything. If you want a more detailed recap, you can watch the keynote on Apple's website. And ATP already has their episode out. I listened to this morning on my walk. Um, but iOS 14, otherwise known as Android, <laughs> which 
but like this felt like Google wrote this portion of the keynote for them because all of these features that they added to iOS 14 are reactions to stuff that Android has had for years, including like even the, like the, you know, arguably the coolest new thing of like app clips, I think they're called, is something that Google introduced called, I think it was Instant Apps or something like that a couple of years ago. Okay. It, it's not something that's seen a wide adoption. And I wonder if it was like, why bother doing this if we can only do it on one platform? And I wonder if now that they can do it on two platforms, if it becomes more worth it from people to put the effort in to make these type of transient apps. Yeah. But basically they're simple things that like, you know, if you've got a parking garage that you're at when you're, it's not like a regular place you park, but maybe you've got to go downtown for some reason and you don't want to download their app, you can use a sliver of their app to pay for your parking that day without actually having to add it to your iCloud account and have it in your app history and all that stuff. Yeah. I had a situation with that in beautiful, sunny Delaware, Ohio, where one day they just changed all the parking meters Mm. and now they were app driven. And I stood on a street corner for 15 minutes trying to get the account set up and the payment stuff set up and whatever. And I'm just standing next to my car. So nobody tries to tow me. And eventually it was like, okay, I'm just pulling out a credit card, feeding it into this machine because this app blows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So most of the stuff on like iOS is getting kind of a revamped home screen. You can add widgets to it. Um, It's not, the revamp of the home screen that I would want, but it's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. The widgets are basically view only things. Um, they're they're kind of like complications on the watch where that you can send them serialized data and they're actually Swift UI views. So the whole views have been serialized into this format that the home screen can render without actually executing code, which is kind of cool. But mm-hmm. they're basically little chunks of data that can link back to the app. And I'm not sure if they can do any kind of deep linking. Like you can have you know, four different controls linking to different parts of your app or if they just all open the app. Um, Hmm. But they look like really neat little display, data display things, not interactive elements. Yeah, that's Um, probably one of the weirder spots is previously today widgets could have interaction. mm, So kind of. They've been bad at that though. Like technically, yes, but they're so inconsistent and so buggy like it, at least once a week, I swipe over to the widget screen mm-hmm. and one or more things just says, has a little error of like this widget failed to load. Mm. I can see that all the time. So One of the people I follow on Twitter is James Thompson, the developer mm-hmm. of PCalc. And one of the, he's always playing with the new APIs. And one of the things that he created was a today widget for his uh, PCalc calculator. So just a little mini calculator in the today region. Mm-hmm. And um, literally, like, while the uh, State of the Union, the platform State of the Union was going on yesterday, he had built his app using the new Xcode and was playing with little bits of things. And, um, yeah, finding that no interactivity. The weirdest one I think people have seen is that the the music widget doesn't have play pause controls mm-hmm. because it doesn't have interactivity either it's like yeah maybe some of that will pop up a little bit later but yeah the they're one- just big watch complications 
the one that seems to still work is the series shortcuts, which is the widget is basically just a bunch of buttons that run shortcuts. Mm -hmm. And those still work. So that seems to indicate that you can have different buttons doing different things, but they're just doing a callback. They're not loading data in real time from the app or anything. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, iOS, mostly minor stuff. There's some changes to Siri. There's some interesting changes to messages. Um, Picture-in-picture -picture video, which I think everybody thinks that they want that. <laughs> I just, it's not really that useful. <laughs> Call me crazy. Um, like most of the situations where you see somebody talking about it, like I'd rather just have the, the audio playing in the background and not be looking at a tiny thing and like constantly shuffling around this thing that's in the way. But maybe that's just me. Yeah, particularly um, on an iPhone. Yeah. I barely use it on iPad. Most of the time I don't invoke it. I just... And watching something and minimize the app and it goes to picture in picture. I'm like, oh yeah, that's still a thing. <laughs> but yeah, uh, iPad OS got some stuff to, um, some neat stuff around the Apple Pencil, which I was watching some of the stuff on the Microsoft Surface line about a month ago. And they've got a bunch of really cool features with their pen and the way that it works with Windows 10. And it seems like macOS is doing some really similar stuff and like being able to use handwriting directly into a text field. Um, surface, the Surface stuff looks a bit more advanced. They've you know, had seven years to work on it compared to just introducing it now. So, yeah. but you know, they, they do some really neat stuff where you can like, the way you do text selection and striking stuff out and they've done some pretty good integrations with their office stuff. It's, it's not, it's not stuff that would make me go crazy because I just don't really think about computers that way, but it, it is really cool stuff. Um, what else was on the iPad really that, um, some, some fairly substantive UI kind of things. Yeah. Um, just, you know, with, there's sidebar stuff and things like mm, that yeah. just kind of expanding and revising to, to make the iPad more different from the iPhone in its visual representation in the way UI works, mm. um, which is good. I think they need to do a lot more of that. Yeah. The, uh, there was a 3d audio, feature on airpods it's mm -hmm. only coming to airpods pro which kind of makes me mad because i don't want airpods pro is it just pro yeah huh okay like i don't care about the price of the pro airpods i don't want that form factor right um but yeah it's only airpods pro but they've got some spatial audio stuff that works pretty well with the um accelerometers in the headphones plus the device and some pretty cool math about how all that works and if you haven't tried spatial audio, it is really cool. Like we've had it in VR headsets for a while now, and it really changes your perception of stuff. Um, we're going to see positional audio in PlayStation Five is one of their big selling features there. So it'd be interesting to see if like this becomes ubiquitous in a couple of years of just like we expect, you know, movies to have this type of audio built in. And Apple's approach is like we're just taking your Dolby 5.1 and 7.1 mixes and spatializing those. You don't have to do special stuff to your media, yeah. which is kind of cool. So 
if you've got a bunch of movies that has that sound mix already, it should work with your fancy AirPods. Yeah, I especially like the part where they were paying attention to things like, you know, you're on a plane and the plane banks, mm-hmm. which can be perceived as a movement, but your relative head position to the position of the screen didn't change, so the audio doesn't move based upon that. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, some of the other stuff, there was an update to watchOS. My notes consist of I don't care. <laughs> when it got to watch os the sleep tracking stuff is cool um like i tried sleep tracking before with an apple watch using a third-party app and it works like it's totally neat but they it you know the watch did suffer from that problem of like i roll over and the screen turns on and blasts light into my face and wakes me up and they, they have a, a better solution for that of like switching to a different complication and massively dimming the screen and I'm assuming that stuff will work whether you're using their sleep tracker or some third-party app. I would, I would imagine they just have a sleep tracking API, not necessarily specific features. But I didn't look into it too much. And they also have some really dystopian hand-washing feature. <laughs> just kind of creeped me out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it, it notices based upon sound and movement when you're washing your hands and tries to prompt you to do it properly. I'm pretty sure it prompts you like they look up the, the vocal affectations of your like first and second grade teachers and it <laughs> speaks to you in their voice, but they're, you know, they're being tortured. Like it, it was just really creepy. There's a bunch of new home stuff. Um, most of it I don't particularly care about, but the adaptive lighting could be pretty cool. Like I've got a bunch of hue lights in my mm. apartment. And if I can set them to match the color temperature with like, you know, the ambient daylight along with the color temperature of the Mac or iPad that I'm using, that could be really cool. Just like have everything gradually change around me without any input from me. Yeah, I haven't yet gone to internet connected anything in my house mm. aside from computers. So that bit rolled past me yeah and then uh they updated mac os with you know really tiny point release um you know it's getting you know a, a slightly different look and feel for notifications and that was it that's all they had to say on yeah. mac os but the tv os that's where the action is <laughs> no i'm kidding anyway the mac os you know for years we've known about some kind of processor transition from intel to ARM chips or Apple Silicon as they're calling it. And Mac OS 11, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big Sur is the new version coming out. And it's got a whole bunch of changes that I think Dave is not going to like nearly as much as I do, um, design-wise and aesthetic-wise. But more interesting to this podcast, it's got stuff like really cool technology that's going to affect us as FileMaker developers and software developers and several of the products that Dave makes like FM Perception and FM Comparison. So I don't necessarily know that we need to dwell on the design the design stuff at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty early betas and I'm sure some of that stuff will get cleaned up. But for the most part, I really like it. It looks like an iPad, which I really like an iPad. So yeah, and that's precisely why iPad. I'm not a huge fan of it yeah i also have this 
this theory that they a lot of the changes they made not to, to look more like an iPad, but a lot of those controls that I saw on the screenshots and stuff look touch friendly. They're bigger, like menus are bigger now. There's more spaces between items in, in the menus. Things like that makes me think like when they ship an ARM Mac, it's gonna have a touch screen or maybe some of them will have a touch screen. And uh, guys on ATP or at least John Syracuse seems to agree with that assessment. So that could be interesting. Like I was hoping for a touch screen yesterday, but didn't get one. Didn't really get any development stuff on the iPad. No. But uh, if uh, in six months, if I can buy a probably a consumer MacBook with a touch screen, I would I would use that. Mm-hmm. Um, the cool things that I saw there were so one of the things was the way extensions work with Rosetta two. Mm-hmm their emulation technology for handling this transition to ARM-based chips. And because extensions run in their own separate process, they can run in a different emulation environment. So what this means is I can... If if I, as an extension developer, have migrated to universal two and native code in my extension but the app that i'm an extension for hasn't it can still run my extension because the extension can run natively while the application is running emulated or vice versa Hmm. it doesn't care because again those things are running in in two separate layers and so I thought that was really cool because it suggested to me that the whole running extensions in a separate process as a security feature wasn't the whole story when they were doing this work over the last five years. That they were planning ahead for when they were going to need this migra- need to do this migration and knowing that being able to separate these two things could make that easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you say, oh, these things are touch targets and maybe we'll get a touch-based Mac entirely possible like this all could be part of a larger strategy to get there um but i was really impressed with that stuff and how well rosetta 2 seems to work even on things like games which was impressive and um then the universal 2 universal apps the new kind of fat binaries yeah um yeah, when I say touchscreen Mac, I guess what I really mean is a Mac with a touchscreen. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not, I don't think it's ever going to be a touch first environment, just like the iPad is currently. It's still a touch first environment, but they're adding in mm-hmm. mouse and trackpad support and making improvements there because they realize like touch isn't the best thing for lots and lots of different types of things. And I would never expect to see a, like a Mac OS device that can only work with touch. No, no, I concur. But, um so yeah that was really cool yeah the um so there's a bunch of different pieces of this there are the arm chips that apple is making or the apple silicon chips that they're making there's the universal two uh, binary format where you can essentially build intel and arm versions of your app if you don't want to do that and you're just going to keep running your current x86 version of your app it will use rosetta to 
Rosetta 2. And then they also said they, they plan on continuing to release Intel Max. Like they've still got more products in their pipeline that they're going to be releasing. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be quite a while before we see the all ARM Mac ecosystem, probably, you know, 10 years. Um, you know, they've got Macs that are going all the way back to 2013 right now that are yeah. still in support. So uh, officially they say the transition will take two years. So that's the, tr- that's the transition from when they have products, assumingly in those product markets. That doesn't mean like yeah. the Mac that I'm using now is going to be deprecated in two years. Like, that's right. probably going to continue receiving support for many years after that. Yeah, I would guess the same. So as an application developer, yeah, it's going to be, I, I'm guessing more like five or six but mm-hmm. than 10. But yeah, it, it'll be a long transition. Yeah, I'm interested to see how FileMaker handles this. Mm. Um, like, do they even, do they do anything at all this year? Or do they just hang back and wait? <laughs> um. I can't imagine that it, that's an easy code base to migrate to a totally new instruction set. It's got a pretty big legacy. So I don't know. I don't know if anybody's got like uh, a Windows ARM computer that is technically running emulation to run FileMaker. I know that's a thing, but I'm not sure FileMaker will actually even open there. I know like Microsoft has one of their service products is an arm based thing and it will do some emulation for stuff but like half of the creative cloud apps just don't even launch and some of them work great like it just depends on the code base for that app so it'll be interesting to see it's probably not i don't know i will i will happily jump and get one of these things whether or not that can be the only computer i use is probably is probably too early to tell yeah the the big one that I've seen popping up in FileMaker discussions is so the new ARM Macs can run iOS apps natively. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people were wondering, well, does that mean FileMaker Go can run on the desktop? Oh, that would be very cool. Um, and one of the things that I saw from the Platform State of the Union is that um, that's effectively an opt-in program so i thought i thought i heard it was the exact opposite it's an opt-out program you have to specifically opt out of your app showing up over there okay either way they have the ability to opt it's not going to require some kind if they decide they don't want to support it they don't have to somehow hobble the thing to recognize that it's on a mac and say this doesn't work they can just Mm -hmm. say don't allow the installation of this on a mac yeah so if they want to restrict it and keep people using full FileMaker desktop on the desktop, they have the ability to do that with the equivalent of a checkbox. Um, That doesn't say anything about whether that is their plan or not. I have no idea. And my guess is they were finding out about most of this stuff when we were yesterday. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. If you combine like being able to run iOS apps and iPad apps natively on the Mac with a touchscreen. That's a lot of developer devices that people don't have to buy anymore. 
when you can now use the simulator and use the Mac to run the actual executables without having to try to mm-hmm. you know go through a fake mouse to trackpad to touch interface stuff like that like i could be buying a lot fewer ipads in the next 10 years well you just named probably the number one reason why they won't do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) anything that results in buying fewer devices is a bad move yeah so as part of that stuff they announced a universal app quick start program Mm -hmm. to get software and test hardware in the hands of developers so that they can test ahead of time to make sure that their software will happily make the migration to these new ARM Macs. And I applied for this program for FM Perception. Um, The application is really short. It's basically like name, phone number, name of your app, URL of your app, and why your app needs to run on the new stuff and why you need access to this program to do it. Hmm. So filled all that out for FM perception and we'll see. I, yeah. I don't know whether I'll be picked. I certainly don't have an app store app. And if they promote those ahead, it may be a while. Yeah. And something tells me that it's this transition isn't going to be a big deal for you. Because you're you're really just using platform stuff. You're not using a ton of third-party dependencies. Like your app, you know how your app is built. And it's just a matter of like, can Xcode build it? Then Xcode will be able to build it for the new architecture. In all likelihood, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm not hugely worried about it, but I'd really like to be able to not worry about it at all. Yeah. <laughs> And it really, like for your audience, it really depends on what FileMaker does. If FileMaker just says, we're not supporting ARM for the next two years, I don't think you have to worry about it. Like it's not reasonable for you to release a product for FileMaker developers on an architecture that FileMaker developers have been told not to use. You're going to find weirdos that want to do it anyway, but I would, if I were running your business, which I'm not, but I would stick very closely to FileMaker for stuff like that and just let them make those decisions and just point to them like like i'm doing what they said <laughs> yeah yeah rosetta makes that weird um, yeah it'll be interesting to see how filemaker works in rosetta mm-hmm. if filemaker works in rosetta i'm assuming I, i'm i'm assuming it does but yeah we'll see i mean filemaker could just deprecate filemaker pro next year for all i know <laughs> it's like you're, you're now developing in a browser or FileMaker Go is FileMaker Pro. I have no idea anymore. Yeah. Me neither. In fact, the entire app is now a JSON blob. (laughs) There is no FileMaker. It's just JSON. That'd be terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to see what it looks like. Like if you get one installing FileMaker Pro on it, maybe even seeing if you can get FileMaker Server running on it. I would guess that that would be the more difficult of the two. Probably. Um, and then see what it's like with building the various apps, you know, see if you can install your development environment for FM comparison. Like does all of that stuff work? Does all all of the tooling work or do you still have to use something else? There'll be interesting questions over the next couple of months if you get one. Yeah, that'll be a little more exciting. The, uh, a couple of small changes 
uh, development-wise, Xcode finally got document-based tabs instead of the kind of application-based tabs that they've had the last couple of years. So the way that tabs have worked in Xcode up until now is you've got kind of a three-column interfa interface like we've been talking about with FM Comparison. You've got a sidebar on one side, a content region, and then an inspector. And ours are, columns are a little bit different, but the when you open a tab in Xcode, all three of those are shoved into that tab, which I think is really confusing and not how I want to think about those types of apps. And it's not the way that any other IDE works. It's the the text documents or the, the code documents that should be in the tab, not the inspector and the navigator. And I find it really confusing when I open three or four tabs in Xcode and I go to the inspector or I, I go to the navigator and I open a folder and then I switch tabs and I have to open that folder again. Yeah. And then I have to open it again. Like it's just really annoying. Yeah. I think so they the, got that for free when they added window based or, or actual document tabs mm -hmm. to the operating system. So a lot yeah. of apps got that for free. I mean, FM Perception got it for free when they yeah. added that. I mean, document tabs can be really cool. They're, I just don't think they're very cool in Xcode. Yeah, I agree. I just find them annoying. So yeah, um, Swift UI stuff. They've also made some changes there. I have not looked over any of this stuff yet. I'll probably get to that maybe this weekend or early next week and see if any of my Swift UI bugs were fixed. Um, I did see a bullet point that said that there was something new in Swift UI for text editing regions. Yeah, they finally added a bigger text area. Um, color pickers, new UI controls, bunch of new stuff. And it seems like you don't actually have to recompile your app. Like your mm -hmm. existing Swift UI code will work out of the box if you don't have an update out day one. It's not going to be broken until you get your update out. So that part's nice. But yeah, I'll have to plan my kind of side project stuff. This is the, kind of the longest period in time in years that I haven't had an active side project because I kind of put FM or I kind of put retrospective timelines on hold when I was getting into the FM comparison stuff and working on several consulting projects and, you know, dabbled in some of the VR stuff, the web VR stuff, but I haven't really worked on anything in a couple of months. I'm sure you'll fix that soon. Yeah. I mean, with basically working just full-time on your project right now, I don't really have much else going on this summer, fingers crossed. Um, so maybe I'll have some time to work on it. I was hoping to be able to do development on an iPad this summer, but that's not happening. Yeah. So yeah, that's our totally not comprehensive, <laughs> scatterbrained WWDC recap. Some cool stuff that's going to take years to actually take shape and be awesome, but it no longer feels like it did three or four years ago where it felt like the Mac is just waiting to be deprecated. Yeah. 